I've been asked many times, what are your swing thoughts as you're swinging? Well, I try to flat load my feet so I can snap load my power pack. As long as my number two power accumulator doesn't break down, I can reach maximums, lag, and drag pressure through impact fix. You see, the pivot is the utilization of multiple centers. Golf is geometrically oriented linear force. And if you think of all this, hopefully you'll hit shots like this. Hello and welcome to episode four of Full Swain Thoughts, a fried egg podcast on the Netflix docuseries Full Swain. Includes Andy Johnson, Brendan Porath of the Fried Egg and Shotgun Start, and Fried Egg contributor, all-around golf smart guy, Joseph Lamagna. Today we're going to take on, or this episode, we're going to take on episode four of the of the docuseries. It's titled Imposter Syndrome. It is largely about Joel Damon, affectionately known as Jolie D in these parts. It covers the scenes of Tory Pines, sectionals for U.S. Open. It's our first, I think it's our first real taste of the U.S. Open footage, right? Brookline, Country Club of, Brook, uh, Country Club of Brookline. Scenes from Damon's house, from his caddy Gino Benelli's home and hometown. And sort of the arc of the mid-tier is that overselling Joel Damon's, underselling Joel Damon's position in the game, mid-tier PGA Tour Pro. That is the primary focus of this episode. Is that accurate, Joseph? You looked out dubious. No, I, th- I think that is accurate. Okay. I think it's also a testament to how good yeah. the mid-tier is on the PGA Tour and how competitive it is because Joel Damon is a really good golfer. Right. So he has a quote, somebody's got to be the 70th best player in the world, and, and I'm sure we'll get to that in many other quotes, but it's, it's really hard to be the 70th best player in the world, and when you're on, you can be one of the best. Right, right. Andy, what'd you make of this episode? What'd you think of this? I think the opening scene doing the, doing the Scottsdale thing was a perfect way to hook you in and get people really interested in a, in a player like that's not a superstar. I think that's one of the, the tough aspects of golf is how do you get somebody to care about somebody that's like Brendan Todd, but Joel Damon obviously has the personality of a super a personality, like top 10 personality on tour in a mid tier tour player mold of a golfer. So I think that worked really well. The selection, if you're going to profile mid-tier tour player, as you affectionately called him, I think that having that big personality, that likable personality, that alone makes this a compelling episode is, you know, was the big thing. And and being able to hook people in with that start that, you know, that Scottsdale national scene with Harry Higgs was a great way. And sorry. Yep. The Phoenix open where they take their shirts off as the beer rains down. I really loved this episode. I thought it hit on a lot of things beyond the, you know, the mid tier tour pro. I thought the most powerful thing was the caddy player relationship and going into detail about that relationship. And it's something unique about golf, right? Is the caddy player relationship. And I thought that this relationship of all of them was a wonderful one to highlight. You know, I, I can't help you. We talk about how you want these shows to make you feel something, right? And you want to glean insight. And I know Joel and I know Gino, and I came away from this episode liking them more. Yes. I, to piggyback what jo- off of what Joseph said in the last episode on this being its most interesting, these shows within the lens of competition. I would say like him taking his shirt off, him being having some personality hooks you in 
But the most interesting part of this episode are his views and self-doubts and self-deprecation within the context of competition or who he is as a golfer, not as like also an interesting, maybe good guy, or it seems like a great guy. Does that make sense? Like, I found it like I am. I am appreciate that he's not a dial tone. No, I, I, I'm with you. Okay. And I loved this episode. It did a lot for me. It, it made me feel a lot of things. And I think the part where, to, to go off of what you're saying, Brendan, him talking about losing his mom and then beating a ton of range balls, deciding to become a tour pro because it's the only thing left he could do that was something great. I love that image. I think a lot of people can relate to that of when you're going through something challenging, going to hit a bunch of range balls as an outlet. And then, like you're saying, within the context of competition, he ends up realizing those goals, becomes a PGA Tour player, and competes in the U.S. Open. So I thought the story arc here was unbelievable. It made me feel a lot of things, and I learned a lot about Joel Damon. My only one critique, and I think we're generally coming down on the positive review, I thought it got a little repetitive with the self-doubt and self-deprecation quotes. It was like in every setting, like we got it at the beginning, like Max Homa is like, he's self-deprecating, least confident sounding person who's also amazing at golf. Then we get it like in the US Open, we get it at sectionals, we get it at farmers when he's not playing well. It just felt like, honestly, I'm not even saying it was bad. Like I kind of found it interesting each time. I'd say my only critique of it was that that got a little repetitive. Like it was well-established that he like sometimes is too down on himself and, and doesn't have the confidence he should for how good he is. I I kind of uh, take something from episode two with Brooks and Scotty Scheffler and how we talk so much about Scotty Scheffler's wonderful expectation management. And I kind of, over the course of this episode, began to go from, oh, he, he has self-doubt to more of... The self-doubt is the way he copes with expectations. If he tells himself, well, I'm the 70th best player of the world, it helps him not get disappointed when things don't go his way. It helps him also deal with the, hey, it's the weekend at the US Open. Nobody expected me to be here, and I shouldn't be here. That helps him in a way. that He uses this mentality in order to manage expectations well. He has people around him that that do the pumping up. Everybody around him tells him how good he is. He knows this. He knows he's a very good golfer. He just uses his self-deprecation to avoid fall to avoid raising his expectations and struggling to meet those expectations. I think expectation management is is something that I take away from this series as vitally important to a professional golfer. And I think that Joel Damon shows us a very unique and uh, individual way of dealing with said expectations. And I would go beyond that too, that I think what it did is it started with, quote, like, I'll never be one of the best players in the world. I'll never compete in majors. There's a lot of self-doubt expressed throughout the episode. And then it ends with him saying, my best golf is very good golf. I can compete with the best golfers in the world. I'm ready to play now. That was fun after his U.S. Open experience. So I think it kind of took you on the full story arc there. And kind of like Brooks Kepka saying, you're always one swing away from feeling like you have it back. It kind of left on a Joel Damon note 
like I can hang with these guys. So I, I found it to be an effective tactic of showing what Joel Damon's expectations are at the beginning of the episode versus where he is now. And it's certainly a different approach. Like I love the montage they run after he talks about like, I'm not good enough to win a major. I'm just like, I'm pretty good at golf and I'm somebody's got to be the 70th best player in the world. They run this montage of Rory, Rom, Morikawa of like, I think Rory's quote is like belief, self-belief is why we're so good. Like the swagger, like I think I'm the absolute best player in the world. And it's like four or five of those guys. I think Rom, Rom's like, I think I played a great round of golf today. You yes. know, like, yes. um, I, so what, what really worked also about that to me is they showed that and then they tied it together with the, one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode is, is it's either Saturday or Sunday of the U S open. You know, players are emptying out. Tea times are getting spaced out. There's less players around. And in the men's locker room at, at the country club is sitting John Rahm, Rory, and Colin Morikawa, who are just sitting there shooting the shit. And then in comes Joel Damon. And it's just this, you know, I think that's where that imposter syndrome title works well. It's this guy, you know, and what Joseph said, this mid-tier pro who has elevated his play for a given week where he's around these guys. And that's really the thing. And I think like an effective use was, was Max Homa in this episode where, you know, if you know a lot about golf and maybe the, the, they're buddies, but Max Homa's on this upward ascent, you know, going from a Joel Damon player into a, you know, a top tier player and the different mentality at that party. I mean, I just love this. I, there are so many things that I loved about this episode. Same. And, and when we talk about how important belief is, right, and Rory saying the most important thing is self-belief, it did a lot for me when they were reading the email that Gino sent to Joel Damon saying, I think you will, I truly believe you'll be one of the best players in the world. And him saying that he had plans to get rid of his truck and buy a Honda Civic to live out of it because that's how much he believed in Joel Damon. Like, Everyone needs someone like that in their corner. I thought it was just an unbelievable example to illustrate how the power of believing in yourself and in somebody else to get them, help them achieve their goals without sounding too trite. I thought it was powerful. I mean, the fact that this guy and his caddy are the subject of basically an entire episode of this glitzy ass Netflix docuseries is kind of a miracle on its own. Like, it's obviously a testament to him being pretty good at golf, right? Better than 99.9%. But it's kind of like, I think it goes, it's your friendly neighbor who also just happens to be really fucking good at hitting a golf ball. Is how Gino characterizes him at the start. He's an interesting, interesting dude who's amazingly talented. And yet, he's like, maybe like the last kind of, last guy you'd expect, like, Talk about the pool scene with Jenna and Brooks, right? Or JT and Speeth, who've been just these groomed since day one, right? It's just a totally different... The fact that he's the subject of what it seems like we're agreeing is a really good episode of this glitzy Netflix docuseries is sort of a miracle on its own. And it's a testament to the story of being 99.9% better than everybody in the world at something, but maybe not like the best. And where do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with being so freaking good at something, but not necessarily the best? Some of the scenes that I really loved were that just showed how kind of, you know, in a way like humble and I don't want to say simple, but a couple things, 
I love the scene going stroller shopping for a variety of reasons. We've seen guys in cars in this in this show, and everybody's in Mercedes or fancy ass cars or flying private jets. Joel Damon and his wife are driving a Honda SUV. They showed a scene outside his house, which is in Arizona, and it looks like just a normal house. Like it is a normal single family house. It's nothing opulent. Like this guy lives a very normal life. And even though, as you just said, 99.9% skilled player in an occupation, right? And he's making millions of dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. But he is so down to earth and, you know, he lives his life kind of, he talked about this with the cancer, with, with his own testicular cancer. He lives his life, you know, very just simply, he doesn't take anything for granted, but he just, and I think I just, I really, that, those were just some small things that I really enjoyed about it. Going on the self, the selflessness. Yep. One small tidbit that, I thought it was awesome. It was just a passing line. But when they were on the tee, I believe at, at the U.S. Open, Gino says to Gino's caddy, says to Joel, have a great day. And Joel responds, you too, pal. And it's like, how many player caddy relationships are like that where the player is like bringing the caddy in so much? You have a good day too, man. Like we're in this together. I didn't even think it was cliche. It felt authentic the entire way. I I loved when they were there when Joel's like I I should just get on a flight I should and, and Gino's like well there's a three o'clock flight like you know like that that <laughs> type of just, banter yeah. <laughs> and you know it's like I think that one of the the big things with the player like they have an idyllic player caddy relationship yes it's a very unique relationship within the already unique relate like this one is not you know. Standard. Standard, yeah. I still thought that they hit on one of the big strains of a player PGA Tour, a player caddy relationship of everything's out of the caddy's hands. And this is like, you know, in a way, Joel Damon wants him and Gino are best friends. They they made that very clear. He, he wants the best thing for Gino, but you still get the strain. And Gino says, he says, um, Joel's capable of being top 30 in the world. I don't know if he wants to be top 30 in the world. And yeah. you could sense a little bit of frustration from Gino at that point, because this is the thing about caddies is they are directly tied and it's super unique in sports. It's not like a manager. They don't get paid, you know, just based off of like, they are directly tied to earnings. And if, if their player isn't performing, you know, they have to deal like in shit can be going on in their, their players' lives. They can know that their player isn't working as hard as they can, and they have to manage that relationship. They can't be out front like and here's Gino, like he's doing everything he can to tell and get Joel to believe, going back to that letter, that he is one of the best players in the world. And you could sense there is a tinge of frustration from Gino in like this guy just, you know, he doesn't necessarily believe that he's as good as he is. And I think that as great of a relationship as it is, and as great of a relationship, that is something that every caddy on tour goes through, is that they can do everything right, but some of the stuff is out of their control and is dependent on these very fickle athletes that like some of them, you know, Joel's like kind of an outlier. He's a different, different breed than a lot of these guys, but that this do no wrong, 
type of attitude that a lot of players have. Nothing's ever their fault. Like Joel is not that. But with Joel, it's the opposite. He's just trying to get him to believe how good he is. This isn't like a simple story. Like it's not a, it's not told. They don't simplify things here. Like the tension between being caught between lacking self-confidence and thinking you could win is displayed here, right? Like by the end, as Joseph said, the tension between being a simple, like it's not like he doesn't, he shuns money, right? He says in the, in the episode, money can't buy happiness, but it helps a lot. So it's, they don't just like make it reductive, black and white. Like it's the, he, the tension of trying to live and not lose who you are. Like he's, he's molded by loss and trauma, I think was what his, his wife said. Right. And that has obviously helped him be a little more down to earth and not realize every competition is life and death, but he still wants to make money. He realizes it helps with his life and he still wants to be better. He wants to think he could compete while also putting himself down. Like, I think there's a lot of uh, it's really told well in terms of kind of drawing out those tensions of being, I don't know, uh, containing multitudes, I should say. Right. Not just simply having one approach, one resignation, you know, an attitude of being resigned. And, And so I think that comes out repeatedly throughout the episode. It's not that simple. It's not that simple a character. I guess a big theme for me through the whole show, this one in particular it's like everyone is motivated for different reasons, right? right? And I, it's something I've picked up on a lot, like watching a ton of NBA this year. Like Second night of a back-to-back, you've been traveling. You might have a flat day. It actually happens, right? You have to be motivated to play. I think for Joel, a lot of the motivation comes from, I've seen, I know what life or death is. This isn't life or death. This is golf. I'm pretty freed up to go play. And <laughs> I'm really like... Even if I don't believe that I'm one of the best in the world, what's there to lose? And I thought that was a, an interesting insight versus somebody like Brooks, who feels this self-doubt in a way that doesn't feel like it's moving in a positive direction. So I, I think seeing the motivation of each figure in this show has been insightful. And it's cool to see Joel's, like Andy's saying, he, he's motivated. He's keeping the expectations off himself. But when he had to step up, he did step up. How about the, I thought he was a perfect U.S. Open story. Perfect introduction to the U.S. Yeah. Open. Um, just and in sexuals, the sense. Obviously. Yeah, because of the sexual qualifier aspect of it. But also I loved, you know, the juxtaposition. It seemed like the other kind of very faint story of the U.S. Open uh, centered around Colin Morikawa. And you want to talk about polar opposites on the PGA Tour. I feel like Damon and Morikawa that was, you know, I think where, where this show has thrived for me so far is the juxtapositions. And we had a similar one. It was much smaller than the Scotty and Brooks episode. But this one with Morikawa, kind of the golden child of the PGA Tour, you know, instant success, all this with with qualifier Joel Damon. And they were kind of the two duking it out at, at the U.S. Open. But obviously, the the sectional story was great, too, with the White Claws. Yeah, that that was obviously like a super. Go ahead, Joseph. That was a that was no, a highlight no, yeah. for me. I mean, I think it speaks to like you get to a certain point in your life where like you don't have to give as much of a shit, right? And like you don't have to sweat the small stuff. Like there used to be a point where like when you're young, like when you have that first drink, that means like you're done for the like that means you have chosen to drink, and now you're not going to be responsible anymore, and now you you are going down a path for that day or that afternoon or that night. And you get older and like you can have a drink and still maybe be a productive person or go do something social or 
I don't know. You could like hang with your kids. And like, this is just, I don't know. This is my own perspective. He can have a white claw and still go shoot 65. And it's, it's like, it's at a point in his life where that does not mean necessarily, maybe it's a, maybe it's a mechanism, a coping mechanism where it's bringing him back down, taking the pressure off the second round. But like, it doesn't mean you're totally giving up. That's kind of a, it's, it's a very, not the main thrust of that scene, but it was a, it was amusing. It was a, obviously it's going to be entertaining for anybody who watches it. It was a high, this guy's competing for the U S open and he's having a, having a hard seltzer at lunch. A couple, they say couple, couple multiples. And then he makes, it, of course. So this episode's all about imposter syndrome. I'll tell you one thing. That's not an imposter. Zero restriction, Andy. They don't mess around. They come, they bring the goods. It's the high quality shit. Nope, no imposing, impostering, whatever the uh, whatever the verb might be there. Uh, you can go to zerorestriction.com. Use the promo code TFE25. You get 25% off at a selection of outerwear, loungewear, athletic wear, athleisure wear, whatever category you want to use. But uh, a lot of good outerwear out there at zerorestriction.com and use the promo code TFE25. What's one thing you like over there? I love the Champ hoodie. Um, it is a awesome hoodie just like elite elite uh hoodie to wear around the house on any occasion wear to the golf course you know what's exciting is they have this new one the champ hoodie vest and what i like about this is it the fits, sleeves. It, yeah you lose the sleeves vests are so good for golf they're so awesome but one of the things i use vests a ton for and particularly nice to have a, a hoodie a, hood also on it is runs like when i go for a run I'm often wearing a hood because of cool mornings out here, uh, chilly mornings. And I think the one thing that's nice about ZR stuff is that it's multifunctional. Like it's really good um, stuff for workouts if you're running or you're doing anything outside beyond golf. Obviously, that's what they're, they're designed for, rooted in is the golf stuff. But I use my ZR stuff a ton for just like walks, uh, runs, whatever it may be. I thought the one thing I like about their vest is I thought the zipper at the bottom was superfluous and like silly, like where you can zip it up from the bottom. I was like, ah, what is this? Like it's, it's doesn't, does it really need it? And like, I saw one of their guys like demonstrate what it does. Like when you're swinging a golf club, it makes you look like if it's zipped at the bottom, you can look like pregnant or whatever. You got the little poof and and there's like that tension, but I do like, it's a little thing that I've, I've come to notice. Once I saw a demonstrator, I was like, oh, all right, now I get it. So all their vests have that. Go to zerorestriction.com. Use the promo code TFE25. Thanks to them for their support. All right, let's get back to it. I think I'm being way more sentimental on this yeah, episode I can than tell. I normally feel about golf. But this one did make me feel things. And I think one of the things it captured well is the sense of belonging. Like these guys... A lot of them feel like imposters until they've made it. So to go from sectional qualifying and, and making it to then playing in the U.S. Open and having the scene of John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, and Rory acknowledging that Joel's playing really well because there's a scene there where they say out loud, like, yeah, he's playing really well. I thought it did a cool job of, of showing why Joel feels like he belongs. Like, you know what? I can hang with these guys. And I think that's something a lot of players experience. Have I actually made it? Like, Am I actually good? Do I belong here? I think it did a good job of capturing that sentiment very well. That's one of those scenes, and Andy brought it up early. You bring it up again. Just like the three of those guys in the locker room, like I didn't even need to get anything from that. Like 
that was the substance. The scene was the substance. And then, of yep. course, Joel coming in adds another element to the scene of like this guy sort of what thresholds are you at? Are you at the point where you can say hi to the are you at the point where you can chop it up or where they approve or they recognize your your abilities? And so that that scene just existing was something this show I think is probably only going to deliver and we wouldn't get anywhere else. And that's why this show has value. It also gives you just a great lens into the atmosphere of a major championship. You know, any big tournament, really, this goes to even like amateur tournaments. Like when you get late in a championship, one of the really cool aspects of it, you know, if you are a so imposter, the tee times get spaced out. Everybody's going off one. It's not like a tour event where you might have threesomes and you might have dual split tees and different things. So there just aren't many people around. And when you're talking about major championships, the people that are around are the who's who of the game. And I think that was just, it's just such a cool visual. And if, if anybody's played deep into a amateur, like a bigger amateur event, you know what, what I'm talking about here is like, the levity and the people around there's this this feeling of wow this is a big deal i'm at the end and look at who's around like there is a it's kind of a mutual respect that's earned when you get later into these things and that's the big i mean that's why this episode to me really works at at a at a level is it's this guy who just keeps talking about how he's not that good but that moment to me is the peak of the episode is where he's there. He's acknowledged with the rarefied air of the sport. And he's, you know, it, it's like the, the full actualization of what everybody's been saying the whole episode. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's very clear. They started farmers insurance open was, I think the first tournament they shot at last year. And so they're just starting there with like Joel, the character and the caddy relationship. Right. And hoping they get something. And now all of a sudden they get it, right? And But it concludes with that sort of locker room scene and he's top on the leaderboard and now they can contrast him with Morikawa. So it really like, he came through for them in terms of like the storyline. Or else he's just the guy, you know, with the shirt off at Phoenix and with the great caddy relationship and and the self-doubt. Like, he, like the US Open, popping at the US Open really kind of makes this an episode. Other than that, it's probably not. It's probably like a piece of like a contrasting storyline with something else with maybe more a episode, something like that. So the U S open, it was interesting to hear him sort of contextualize his mindset being in the hunt. He goes, I'm a little more focused than when I'm just screwing around trying to make a paycheck, like even and playing Sunday at a major when he know he couldn't win anymore. and still like grinding. I think was a different was was a mindset shift for him as well. He talked about that. Like I think he made a bogey at some hole early in Sunday. He's like, "Well, I can't win anymore. I know I can't win, but but not, I guess, going to the white claw tent or whatever it is, you know, and, and just continuing to try to top ten it or beyond the paycheck, something on the leaderboard that gives him further affirmation and confidence. I thought was interesting in the arc. And and I think now I hadn't really thought about this until you were talking there, Brendan, but this idea of playing meaningful golf and watching this directly after the Ian Poulter episode where he says like, I know I can, I want to play golf that makes a difference and I know I can still do that versus somebody like Joel Damon 
who doesn't make statements like that. But when like, he actually went out and played meaningful golf, that makes you feel something. And I think it is hitting on the essence of the tour and why it is special to have a deep bench of a lot of guys who can go out and make it happen any week. Joel Damon is one of those names, and it's special to see him at the top of the leaderboard. Like That's meaningful golf. Anything more on the Gino? I thought it was worthwhile. I'm glad they went to his house and his home and talked about their relationship and their upbringing. Of course, like Joel's Joel's background is is unique too. Like, I, what do you say? I never grieved. I just hit it. And he, that that talks about what you said at the beginning about hitting balls. And, and he has a caddy that sort of understands that background better than anyone. Were you, you know, anything more on that relationship that stuck out to you? I mean, that, that's a big focus. I think they could have gone a little bit on like how rare it is for somebody to come out of Eastern uh, Washington, sure. Western Idaho. Um, but I did love uh, Gino going back home. I love it really hit to me on like the team aspect of it, how they those two are really in it together, how the mom was pr- cutting out all of the clippings <laughs> for the years. Like I just I, I, I that I just I really liked that. And I think it just it just pulled on on the on the aspect of, you know, who knows what Joel's career looks like without Gino. But it does to me feel like without Gino, I don't know if Joel is there. Yeah. In the relationship between even Gino and Joel's wife, like it, yeah. it is very tight knit. I was a caddy. I think both of you were caddies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I if I were a professional golfer, I'm not sure whether I want I would work well with a caddy who's a, a, a very close friend. Like that can be tenuous. It's almost like going into business with somebody in your family. Sure. But it the fact that it's working well for them, I think is a testament to both of their humility and how that how well that partnership kind of gels. Is there anything about this episode that didn't really work for you guys that you found? I, I guess my only thing was it got a little repetitive with the self-doubt uh, along the way, but not overbearing to the point. I, I honestly, I had always thought like, I didn't, I just felt he was like overcovered a little bit. He was like this darling of social media, which like rightfully so. He's got some personality and he's interesting. But I just found like the actual some of the the underlying humanity to the the personality, right? The the jokes and the down to earth and the having a beer and having a great caddy relationship really like I'm a huge Joel Damon fan after watching this. Uh and count me among you know, everybody else who's kind of maybe had already known this prior to this episode. Uh, but anything else that really didn't work for you guys or, or you thought was not especially good about this episode? I thought it was great. I think it, it's in the running for the best episode I've seen. Interesting. Uh, if I, yeah, I think it's it's uh, the best. But, you know, I, I give it an A, a plus. Okay. Notes? I was gonna get... say, I'm pretty confident this is going to be really favorite episode, even though I haven't seen the rest of them. I would give it an A or an A plus, if anything doesn't work, sometimes it's the golf shots that aren't always framed. Like, what does this mean? But yeah. I mean, I'm really nitpicking. I, I loved, I love this episode. And again, I think it's going to be my favorite one I watch. At the end, like at the very end, one of the last scenes, it's the end of the US self and he hugs his wife and he goes, we didn't lose any money this week. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Really good. <laughs> Um, it's just like you, complete it, it works so well as you hit on as a post polter it's like <clears throat> we bathed in this like kind of like icky you know, just not necessarily like 
great topic. And then it's like this story right after works really well. Well, does it cadence. make you appreciate that Polter episode anymore or no? As no. if like that was a setup or something. That's why they did it. Okay. I agree. I agree with that. Just, the, Poulter, just sure. the Poulter episode could have been a, a lot better. That Where that one under delivered, I don't know in the in the time frame that was, you know, of this Damon episode, if it could have been better. This is supposed to be about the episodes, but putting our golf analyst hat on for a minute. There's at the end, they talk about like, is this feels like this is a big shift for Joel. Um, Like he missed a lot of cuts after this. Like, how good can Joel Damon be? Like, what is this, like, is top, can he win a major? Like, like, do you feel like this episode or this past season is a fair representation of Joel's peak, of his kind of average? Is Where's he going? Like, I, I know that's like, we're asking to, like, put a crystal ball out there. But what are what are your opinions of Joel Damon as the golfer in his future? My, my opinion is pretty unchanged. Um, yeah. One thing I would say the U S open <laughs> now we're getting real, we're getting in the weeds a little bit it was like a really pretty hardcore driving accuracy test. And Joel Damon's like one of the most accurate drivers in the world. So I think what it illuminates, even though they didn't talk about this in the episode is how talented everyone on tour is. And when you get a golf course that's suited for you and you're feeling it that week, you can contend. So it doesn't really change. I think my long-term prospects for Joel Damon, he's a really good golfer and he's capable of winning any week. Yeah, I think I think Joel Damon and and this is obviously I think it was we aren't talking playing styles in this show. But you know, and and this is where I would contend that you're really missing out because the tennis thing is talking about different playing surfaces and as as Joseph just alluded to like the playing, you know, test that's presented at the US Open. Joel Damon is going to be one of the PGA Tour specialists there are going to be distinct courses that really fit Joel Damon's game. And on given weeks, he should be considered a top 10, top 15 player, but they have to be the right course fit for his game. He's not going to be a great fit at Torrey Pines ever, which is ironically where he start this episode really started. Yeah. All right. Should we do notes? I mean, this is a, our, our sort of first exposure to the U S open. I would say did a good job of starting with sectionals and getting into U S open. But the next episode is like the U S open, the final it's on Fitzpatrick. So, uh, which I found like, I thought that was the best championship last year. I'm kind of glad, uh, it's getting a lot of the run in the in multiple episodes. Other notes you have from this outside of the, the Damon and Gino stuff. How about Gino making $87, uh, in year one. Yep. Astounding. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I mean, just every every scene, every scene in this episode is is really evocative, right? Gino's sitting on his porch, and it's a pretty like Spartan, normal looking porch in Idaho, right? And Joel in the gym with his wife, yeah, right, not like with you know a bunch of others, I don't know, or, or just one on one. It's just like it's like a couple's workout, right? And they're both and and, and Joel's like struggling right whereas some of these are sort of vanity montages it's not that for joel damon i um, liked how he, he was like could you could you give me bigger weights so i look better <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah just every like the 87 dollars thing just made me think of of you know of course they're they're moving up in the world it's not like they're living don't have a pot to piss in but 
you know, at his mom's house, his mom's house is like a normal looking house. It's it's very different from Brooks's abode in Jupiter and stuff like that. So also like uh, the the kids storyline, I thought was like not overdone, but weaved in perfectly. And one of the things that was even better was like he's hitting balls Sunday at the U.S. Open. It's the biggest, obviously, probably the biggest round of golf in his life outside of the one they won. You know, it's up there in the biggest rounds of his golf in his life. And he's on the range and he's talking about how he told his dad and his dad's one thing. It's like, oh, your life's going to get harder. Like, you know, just like and it's obviously it's Sunday, Sunday on the range at the U.S. Open's Father's Day. I thought that was really good. I, I just um, real. Yeah. As you said, every scene kind of hit even like when he's on the putting green with Rory and Rory says, I can't remember what Rory said, but he goes, I, hey, I work out, too. Yeah. Talks about hitting a six iron or something where Joel would hit a five or a four. I can't remember exactly. Joseph, any other notes from you? You guys just nailed my main notes. Thought it did an amazing job of introducing people to the importance of sectional qualifying at the U.S. Open and that anyone can make it to the U.S. Open. I think that's a really special part of the sport that was highlighted. Also, the player-caddy relationship. Thought it did an excellent job of that. Even getting into Gino, like reading some of his putts. Thought that was excellent. Other note I have... Main other thing we haven't really talked about. I'm pretty fascinated by the John Rahm, Rory McIlroy kinship and the fact that they're eating together, making jokes together. And now, like fast forwarding to 2023, those are heads and shoulders, the two best golfers in the world. And so I think it, it does add some context to their relationship as we're about to watch, hopefully, an epic year of those two battling head to head, getting along with each other, kind of carrying the mantle for the tour. It's a pretty cool setup. On a technical aspect, I'm surprised at how much Rahm appears, given he was like one of the big whales that didn't agree to it. And I understand they have their workarounds there with major championship footage, but like he must have agreed to certain parts based on how much. Maybe he's, he's coming in next season. Like, I think that's a discussion at some point, like who you'd want to see the next season. And I think we'll see one of them that that is heavily involved in two of the majors but not really involved at all in the show in the next episode with Zalatoris, right if they do another season they do are you guys want to see the same right do you guys want to see any of the same guys again i mean it depends on how probably not i mean probably not like joel damon to be honest with you but like if brooks or i mean i want to see joel damon if he wins or falls off like if there's a demonstrative change to his status sure but like so i would say like brooks yeah Based on what's happened, based on his what happened in his episode. Do you want but, to see another Ian Poulter episode? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What about you, Joseph? You want to? No, not really. I, I, Nobody. Maybe if something Speak? if something eventful happens, yeah. But no, not not really. I think the what's special is giving context to who somebody like Joel Damon is that the casual fan didn't know. So I would rather profile somebody in depth like if you do another jordan spieth justin thomas episode i don't think i'm going to learn a whole lot more that's fair that's fair uh other notes andy are you good i'm good i would say one thing i like about this in general the show which was drawn out especially in this episode i I wrote it from episode one as how they emphasize money made like almost above score like just in the graphics and that's like i don't forget what joel made at the us open is like 500 some thousand like that's just that's how this casual audience looks at things. Whether the PGA Tour wanted to deny or downplay money, 
prior to 2022 or, or now they want to play it up. I never know where they stand. They used to want you to talk all about the players first. Then they didn't want you to talk about it. Um, but like, that's how the casual audience looks at these things more than score. It's like, wow, he made 540,000 or he made 1.2 million. I, I got a funny additional story, I guess, um, with this. So, you know, does it ties in with this episode, but Gino, uh, and, uh, Derek Smith, who's who's Denny McCarthy's caddy, who also had a great week at the U.S. Open, came down and played in our event the day after the U.S. Open at Yale. And Gino was obviously just on like cloud nine, you know, after this week. And uh, and he was like he he was a late ad he like was like do you guys have any he, he tweeted like do you have anywhere to play is there anywhere we can play and we're like and i think will tweeted like come out to our event at yale so he came and he just like pulled out this fat stack of cash paid like in cash because he had clearly just gotten paid out like something but they were on their way to travelers they ended up winning the event but like those two guys like it was it was a cool thing because like they're obviously Danny McCarthy I would put in the same bucket of player as Joel Damon um kind of like your mid-level player uh that that couldn't pop in certain weeks certain setups and both of them just had like you know great great weeks and it was just it was fun interacting with two guys that were so happy you know um and it just like kind of illuminated like you know just how much these guys are invested in you know it, it in a way like they hit on it in the episode it's like it's like being married in a way and you know like those are those would be like two guys you know i guess the way to conceptualize it is your partner gets a massive massive raise at work or something or a new job that's going to give them more time off way more money and obviously you benefit from both of them and like you know like they just he it, it was uh it was cool it was it was really a neat experience seeing those guys right after that moment. Like the next day, I think McCarthy was the one who brought him the the white claws. I, he was only in the shot for like a second in Columbus yeah. in the sectionals. I think it was McCarthy it was. that came up to this table. Okay, I guess right, the other I thing, Brendan. Yeah, go ahead. I, lo- I like your your point about them calling out money because that's how the casual fan experiences golf. Well, just to add, I don't think we've had a single FedEx Cup mentioned so far and we are halfway through the series which maybe maybe is indicative of how much this this fedex cup system matters to the players uh, an admission that just wait till the prince the prince of Pontevedra. are you talking about the rory episode all right they're trying to spoil all it right. here as we get ahead but no that's a good point that's a good point Joe. or great point. what some outside storytellers might think is salient right i mean outside i know they have the contract you know or they have a there's some people at the tour involved but netflix and this production company aren't the tour and they're not prioritizing or even acknowledging fedex cup good point because we don't because honestly most people don't care good point all right that does it for episode four of full swing thoughts we'll be back with episode five thanks for you guys listening